the actual term novation is kind of a blanket statement. It doesn't mean one type of real estate transaction. It just means to replace one contract with another. The way I do novation transactions, we call the Rainmaker method. I'm gonna be making money, but they will get a five-star experience from me. So I'm that restaurant, it's $1,000 a plate to eat here, but your steak's gonna be perfect, your dessert's gonna be beautiful, the table's gonna be set, there's no stains on the tablecloth on my table. Everything is going to be on point where, yes, you are getting a premium experience at a premium price. If that's not for them, that's not what they're looking for, there's so many other options out there. Welcome back to the Light It Up podcast. If you're new to this channel and you want to know everything about making money in real estate, selling sales skills, and building your business or investing, then subscribe below, tap the bell for notifications so you can be the first to know what makes our great guests so successful. Let's talk about adding leverage. So we've been getting a lot of calls of people asking us how we've hired virtual assistants to scale and leverage our business. So we've opened up our playbook to all of you. If you're looking to add leverage in your business, whether it's administrative support, ISA outbound callers, go to adleverage.com and they'll be there to help you staffing your team. All right, Rich, thanks so much for spending some time with us today. Yeah, I'm pumped. Thanks for having me out. We, uh, we're excited to talk to you about some novations and how more real estate investors uh, should know about them and should be using them uh, in their business. So let's jump into it. Let's do it. Before we do that, why don't you why don't you give us a little bit of your background information or tell us about your background? I know you got uh, started in the business selling vacuums, believe it or not. <laughs> I don't know if Kiro knows this story, but I'm yeah, uh, I want to hear a little bit more about that and how you decided to get more into real estate. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I've been in sales for for pretty much my whole life, right? And my longest stretch in sales where I really cut my teeth and, and learned the most was selling Kirby vacuums door to door for nine years. So very interesting, right? Uh, it wasn't something I you know dreamed about as a kid or anything like that. But uh, I found myself in the position of really needing a job. And it was the first place I called. They were very vague about what it actually was, but they told me I was hired. And uh, it actually turned out to be a huge blessing. Mm. So the guy I worked for ran his business incredibly. And he was doing several million dollars a year, like a top producer in the country. And that's what really kind of, uh, you know, their sales process was great. Their training was great. And as you can imagine, in that type of business, right, you have to run it like a well-oiled machine because it's not something people just voluntarily are dying to do, right? Mm. So you have to produce results. You have to train people. There's a high turnover, I ended up having my own office for a couple of years as well. And just so many hard won lessons. And we worked like crazy. We worked 10, 12 hours a day, six days a week. So really doing that for nine years got my work ethic and my, my tolerance for pain super high. Yeah. So um, I had a baby on the way. And um, basically, I, I saw the writing on the wall that this wasn't what I wanted to do forever. And I had a buddy that was, I thought, a real estate agent taking all these crazy vacations everywhere. And I hit him up asking him, you know, what he was doing because looked like he was doing all the things I wanted to do and wasn't able to do. And that's where I first heard about wholesaling. So that's kind of how I got into the real estate industry. I love it. Awesome. You, I can see our YouTube thumbnail already. It's going to say vacuums to vacuums to wholesale <laughs> or some, something. I'm, I, that's the, I, that's why I don't do the thumbnails. Yeah. That's not that a catchy. really good reason why. You know? <laughs> no, that's pretty cool. You, you literally, uh, 
A buddy of mine was telling me this today. He was like, we are so lucky we sell a commodity that everybody uses. It's so true. And oh, it, absolutely. You got into yeah, it. Yeah, it's at a high price point. Like it's a beautiful vehicle. You know what I mean? For any yeah. salesperson, and I see a lot of people come from the car industry, very successful. Like if you can kill it in another sales industry and you have, uh, you know, communication and work ethic and are a good negotiator, I mean, there's very few vehicles that can do for you what real estate can do with such a low barrier of entry too, compared to other comparable things where you can make similar money. So it's a blessing. Like, honestly, I feel very fortunate. I, I stumbled into it and I persevered too, because there's many times I wanted to quit, especially in the beginning. Yeah. But, um, I love that. Yeah. A lot of lessons along the way. Love, love real estate though. Wholesale, novations, anything having to, having to do with uh, solving problems and getting in the middle of a transaction and adding value to it. It's, it's very exciting. Yeah. When you said you sold vacuums door to door, was it literally door to door? Yeah. So the place I worked, they did have a phone room. So we had a leg up where they were presetting a lot of appointments, mm. but it's not like people were calling in and saying, Hey, you know, I, I'm just dying to look at a Kirby today. How much are they? Three grand. Awesome. Come on over. I'll, I'll, break out my checkbook, right? Yeah. And we, we did door to door in between, right? Because there wasn't always just a plethora of appointments. But uh, when I when I had my own office, I was fully door to door. And I was mm -hmm. riding around in an old suburban with all the guys that I hired that were on commission only. So there's there's a lot of lessons, one with that, right? And you can imagine door to door in the summer. It's, yeah. it's pretty brutal. Yeah. And you're in a suit and tie and like all nine yards. Like it's is really funny looking back on it, but it also allows me to appreciate, you know, how I live now because like I've seen the other side of that. Like my life at that time, I was learning a lot of lessons and everything, but I, I wasn't living the lifestyle that I wanted to, yeah. you know what I mean? So yeah. I'm glad because it makes days like now, like I can really truly appreciate it, so. Sounds good. So before we jump into innovations and wholesaling, let's get the lightning round in. John, let's start up. All right, let's jump into it. So what's, what is one mistake people often make about you? What mistake people make about me? Yes. <laughs> oh man, that's a good question. Well, obviously I think a lot of people will judge a book by its cover, right? Which is a fair assessment. You know, that's generally how the world works. So they see a guy with long hair, tattoos covered, right? Especially on Instagram, you know, I'll get some haters now and then. Oh, if I saw you in real life, I would never do a deal with you and fine. But, um, you know, once people get to know me, I think they're, uh, you know, they're pretty surprised on my mentality that I'm a family guy. I've got four kids. You know, I live a uh, relatively tame life. You know, I, I, I sit in my house all the time. Uh, we, we like to go on vacation and do fun stuff. But I really am a family man. You know, my, my family, my kids, my wife are really the center of my world, uh, along with the people in my community and the people that I do business with. You know, my life is very simple now, where basically everyone that's in my life is somehow aligned with my greater purpose. So I feel very fortunate to be in that position because it wasn't always like that, so. Yeah, love it. What do you regret not doing when you were younger? <sighs> what do I regret not doing? I regret not spending more time getting good at stuff and the things I love. I did that a lot in my childhood. But there was, a, there was a good period from probably about 12, 13 years old 
to my mid twenties where I wasn't very productive at anything, not, not anything positive at least. So I don't know. I wouldn't say I regret it. Right. But if I could give advice to someone, uh, I, I would not suggest them go down the path that I went. Right. But I don't know. I'm one of those people where it's like everything you go through is for a reason is to mold you into your next challenge and your next, next purpose. And kind of, as soon as you accept a higher purpose and start thinking of yourself as a main character and not just an extra in, in your movie of your life, that's when you really can take control of your life and start accomplishing things that you never thought were possible. So hmm. that's powerful. I like that main character. All right. So what's one accomplishment you are most proud of? Man, my family by far. That's my biggest thing. Having the family that I have and, you know, we've been through good times and bad times. There's times where, you know, we almost didn't make it. And the fact of being able to keep that together is a huge blessing. Because even if I had all the things that I, that I now get to enjoy, right, material-wise, like without my family, it would be way different. So I'm glad that, you know, when things were going off track, we found a way to stick together and, and make it happen. Yeah. There's a, there's a common theme uh, when, when you're uh, speaking that vision and purpose is you put it at a priority and you're very conscious of it. What made, what was that transition like for that to become a priority? Mm, well, I just felt so lost when it wasn't a priority and I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but I always felt like I was just drifting through life and I had a, I had these big goals and ambitions and dreams always, right? But I wasn't, I don't know. I lost my dad at an early age and that made a big impact on me. He died when I was 12 and we, we had a great relationship and uh, he was like my hero. He poured into me and taught me a lot of the lessons that I now live by, right? But when I lost him, I lost a big part of myself and that's when I just kind of like gave up on a lot of things. And... um you know, have, having that vision and that purpose and like realizing all of our time's limited. You know, I'm, I'm really big on stoic philosophy, huge fan of Marcus Aurelius. I'm always posting his quotes. I really try to meditate on my purpose and I'm getting more and more uh, connected with God and spirituality as I get older too. And I, I really truly believe like we're all given unique gifts, right? And it's up to us to mold them and create situations for them to manifest and, and to work on. Like we have all the, all the seeds for greatness, but it's up to us to like water them and, and do the work necessary for them to bloom. And that's really my, my biggest goal is to just become the best version of myself and to, to add a net positive to the world, to my family, to everybody that deals with me. I always look to you know, add whatever, whatever value I can and do it without expectation. Cause like, it sounds kind of morbid, but I do focus somewhat on my mortality and it's something I'm very conscious of mm. and it helps me enjoy every single day in a different way. Right. Um, because you know, all of our time's limited, but that's something that I do probably think of. I think that more than a lot of people do. Yeah. Um, and it definitely more than I used to like before just like every day, whatever I didn't, I had no purpose. Right. But the more I get connected with who I am as a person and what, you know, listen to what I think God's plan is for me, I feel like he kind of like, God, if you listen, will send you a desire in your heart for you to follow. And I try to listen to that and let that be the guide 
and just take the next steps that I can, like whatever I, I see that's in front of me. Yeah, that's powerful. There was a, uh, a study done saying the main reasons why small businesses fail is for lack of clarity for the business plan. And number two, being undercapitalized. So it's uh, you first need to be very clear on what you want and then you need to have a support group around it, which is essentially what you've done. Ironically enough, you saying you want to add value, that kind of is a, a definition of innovation in a way, right? Where you're able to do, well, let's have you explain it in your own words. Sure. So the actual term novation is kind of a blanket statement. It doesn't mean one type of real estate transaction. It just means to replace one contract with another, kind of like wholesale, right? It means a lot of different things to different people. There's so many different ways you can do wholesale real estate transactions. So the way I do innovation transactions, we call the Rainmaker Method. So essentially what we do is we're marketing for sellers that are looking for a different experience than the traditional, you know, going on market with a realtor, hiring a realtor, fixing up the house. 95 to like 98% of people, that's going to be the best solution for them. But we're marketing for the same people that are looking for cash offers. And there's, you know, the best fit for a wholesale or for a cash offer is normally a distressed property that needs some work where there's room for a value add and a seller that's looking for speed and convenience. So out of all the distressed sellers, right, that are looking for an alternative to the traditional process, only a small percentage of them fit into that box of house needs a lot of work, willing to sell for pennies on the dollar. There's enough room for the wholesaler to make money and the end buyer to make money as well. So with our process, what we can do is we give them that same speed and convenience of a cash offer, but we basically explain to them, hey, look, if this property qualifies and we're able to agree on a price, we basically will give you a hands-off white glove experience where we find a third-party buyer, we work with realtors, and we also work with uh, investors and retail buyers, and we just deliver the result on the silver platter. You don't have to spend any money, we give you a net offer. You don't have to pay any commissions. You can sit back and, you know, we'll just deliver the result. So, you know, especially if you're running PPC ads or, you know, you're running marketing, you'll run into a lot of people that are willing to accept a discount in order to get a better, uh, quicker experience, but it doesn't fit into the wholesale box, right? Because especially right now, you have to be discounting the properties quite a bit in order to get fast traction and have it make sense for a cash buyer. So a lot of these properties we're actually selling to retail buyers and we're doing normally minimal work. We'll normally do less than $5,000 worth of work. Oh, wow. That's my model. That's kind of the Rainmaker model. There are people that do full remodels, more power to them. That's definitely more complicated than I personally would care for, but there's definitely great profits to be made by that. But um, yeah, we're, it's, I call it the concierge service. So for the right person, it's great because... You know, they get a great experience. They get much more than they would get if they sold it just a traditional wholesale or cash offer. And for us, we can make a marginal profit. We work with the best local agents in every market and they're making money. The title company makes money. If we do repairs, the, you know, the contractors make money. And then the end buyer, we do price these rather aggressively because we look to move these quick. You know, they're getting a great property for their family to live in where it's at a discount and it's a win-win all the way around. If you're transparent, you're ethical and you do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. So let's take one step back for a second. So, I mean, the way that I understand novations is, or, or let's just say this, the way that it's different from wholesaling 
is that you're going to put the property under contract. You said that you're going to do a minimal amount of work, usually less than $5,000. So maybe that's like paint, trash removal, dumpsters, that sort of thing, right? Just some some cosmetic yep. sprucing up. Helping the seller move, storage, things like that. Yep. Yep. So you get it looking a lot better and then you put it on the MLS and is your agreement with the seller or maybe it's not always MLS, but you- well, it's an you, option to you, buy. It, like same thing. Like, right. That's actually then really- What's the next step there? Yeah. So we get the agreement with them. We go under purchase contract, another piece of paperwork called the Novation and Indemnification Agreement mm-hmm. that basically outlines their net amount, all the things we're responsible, repairs, commissions, fees. And then basically I go on a mission to find the best agent in the area. So I'll interview all the agents that have sold within a mile radius and basically get their opinion. I always ask them where they think it would need to be priced to sell in 30 days or less or to get an acceptable offer in 30 days or less. So I crowdsource it because I definitely want to make sure, right? Because we're doing this nationwide and markets all across the country. I want to make sure before we actually pull the trigger and market the property and that that we do have a, a valid deal, right? Where where we're at, we can get it sold quickly. Because the last thing you want to do is get it under contract, go on market, go through all that, and then you can't complete the deal. Highly unethical. Like it's putting the seller in a very bad position. Because a lot of them, there is a time element to it, you know. So you do owe it to them. But uh, working with realtors is a huge part of that because um, I'm always looking for elite realtors that are go getters because. They make my life easy. They do a lot of the heavy lifting. We can leverage their network, their friends, their vendors. They do the marketing. They handle showings. They handle the calls. They handle the paperwork, the negotiation, all the difficult things. And uh, you know, basically, we are the decision makers, and we're the ones that pay for things when things come up. The seller signs the buyer's offer, and the seller signs the final closing docs. So that's how we can accept buyers with lenders. And essentially, the seller gets everything they're promised. We pay all the commissions and closing costs and any other concessions or fees. And whatever's left over is our profit to keep. I love yeah. that. A gentleman we spoke to, his name is Matthew or Matt Swanson. You should do a collaboration Sorenson. with him. Swanson, sorry. Uh, because that would actually be a great idea. You use your IRA to buy or to put the money into the renovation. He owns the di- uh, directed IRA. Yeah. So it's he, he helps people use their IRA to purchase real estate. Yeah. So for the people who don't oh, have, very cool. yeah, for people who don't have that much in the the IRA, you should use that for the renovation cost of the innovation, and then you can go flip it, and then proceeds you get into the IRA tax free. That would be pretty, that'd be a savvy idea, especially to build it up faster. Well, the beauty of that, though, again, to bring it back to real basic, is that really your only cash outlay is the five thousand to to do the spruce up, right? Yeah, and it, you know, marketing if you're doing your own marketing, but yeah. other than that, yeah, you've got no exposure. And similar to a wholesale, your only cash out is your earnest money or your deposit. Correct. Which is normally $100. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, in New Jersey, it's 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 more we get whacked over here. But but if someone was to ask you why you do innovation versus a wholesale, exactly. what would you say? Yeah. Yeah. Like, what's the benefits? Yeah. So there's quite a few. One, you, it opens up to retail buyers with loans. Okay, so they don't have to make money on the property. So all these properties that aren't ready for a full rehab, they're either already remodeled, which we see some of those, or they're somewhere in between fully remodeled and just like really bad shape, right? So it opens up much more properties that you can now monetize that normally 
you know, these are all the properties where you say, oh man, if I just had unlimited capital, I would just buy this, fix it up a little bit and throw it right back on the market, right? Mm. Well, with this process, you can now do that, right? And as long as you can set the expectations properly with the seller, it's a win-win and it's, it's fully ethical. And they understand what you're doing and they're on board. They're like, look, I don't care if you make money, as long as I get X amount and we can get this done, I'm fine with it. I hope you guys do make money, right? So um, that's one. Two, even for your wholesale deals, the cash only as is, uh, especially if you're in smaller markets where there isn't a big cash buyer's list, there's not a lot of investor activity, hmm. right? You can throw this on the market and you now open this up for say Handy Andy that wants to take on a project, the guy that has a uh, mechanic shop or a small business that wants to be a landlord, He's going to put some sweat equity in it. His cousins are going to go help him. Non-professional investors are typically looking on the MLS, right? Or mom and pop landlords. It opens it up to so many more eyeballs to be able to do that. So a lot of times we can make deals work in small markets that normally it's a wholesale would be impossible. Yeah. I think it's it's interesting because there's so many times, like, like you and I have looked at deals, right? Maybe you're locking up something at 400 grand, right? Mm-hmm. And you think the ARV is, let's say, four fifty. Yeah, but the margins but, too. But tight. you're like, shit. After I close on it, I pay, I pay my closing costs, I pay uh, my title, and then I put it back on the market at four fifty. I got to pay a, a realtor, and then I got to pay transfer tax. You're like, you're, my spread's going to be twenty grand. Is it worth it for me to buy this, put all this time and energy into it, and and only make twenty or fifteen or twenty thousand dollars? But in in your situation. You're taking advantage of the fact that you don't have to, I shouldn't use taking advantage. You're not having to close on the property. So you're not incurring transfer tax. You're not incurring title and all that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No hard money costs. There's not, you don't have the same exposure if you're using your own cash and, yeah. you know, yeah. So there's, there's a lot of advantages to it. Absolutely. So it's I'm kind sh- of that hack that yeah. we all thought wasn't possible, but we wished like there was some way. Yeah. That's why like my jaw dropped when I first heard about this. Cause like, I'm like, where has this been? Why is this not a huge thing? And then of course the next thing I went to is, well, this has to be illegal. Obviously like this, this is too good to be true. There's no way this is really going on. And now 300 deals later, never been sued. Uh, never even really had a seller genuinely upset with me with a completed transaction. You know, all the different title companies we've used, all the different states. And the, the main thing is this. You have to have your paperwork right. Okay. You have to disclose everything. And you have to do the right thing with the seller. Hmm. You have to put the seller first and realize there's sometimes you have to make decisions where you net may be losing money, right? Like literally losing money or like not making as much as you could. But you have to do the right thing for the greater good of both the seller, like yeah, there's more responsibility to the seller because there's more trust involved. Right. We're not promising to buy their house. We're, we're doing a concierge service where we're putting all the pieces together and facilitating the transaction in that way, mm, yeah. right? So you have to be ethical with it because that's what will make this no longer legal is if people are selfish and people do dirtbag stuff. Right. And then someone's gonna get harmed it's going to be on the news yep. and then it slowly they will completely outlaw it. So. Yeah. Now, I don't think we've come out and actually said this just yet, 
So I want to make it crystal clear for anybody who's who's still just a little bit confused about the process. So the example I gave you before, if I'm in, if I'm in contract to buy the property from you at four hundred thousand, and I'm going to do a little bit of work and put it on the market, maybe I can get. Let's just say I put in five thousand, like the example you get, and I put it on the market and I could sell it for four fifty. My agreement with the seller is no matter what I sell it for, you're getting your four hundred. Correct. Okay. All right. I just want to make sure that was crystal clear. Minus mortgage, taxes, and any pre-existing debt. Any closing costs, fees, commissions, concessions is all our responsibility. So how would you explain it? And maybe, you know, we want to do a role play or however we want to present it. How would you, how's that conversation go with the seller where it's like, hey, I'm going to take your house. I'm going to put a little bit of money into it and I'm going to sell it for more. But you're fixed at this price. Because I imagine, like you said, some sellers would say, well, wait a second, you know, maybe I could go borrow that five grand from my aunt or my uncle, or maybe I have it myself. <laughs> so the whole call, we're looking at it from the lens of a cash offer. So there's there's two parts of this, right? There's the sales process of it, and then there's the actual mechanics of the deal. So the sales process, you can imagine, right? When someone's selling their house, it's a huge, it's a huge moment for them it's very, they're very anxious about it and people naturally default to inaction. So having a compelling, compelling sales process is very important in this. And that's what I teach in my Rainmaker training and, and my, and my group and everything, but I'll give it to you in a nutshell. Okay. The sales process, there's three phases. Okay. There's the discovery phase. In the discovery phase, we just look to pull out all the information about the house, the seller situation, any moving parts that we need to be aware of to provide the perfect solution. So there's no negotiation in this. There's no pushback. There's no friction. We're just there to listen and empathize and try to gather as much data as we can. Okay. The second part of it is what we call the anchor phase. Okay. So the anchor phase is where we have to basically realign their expectations with the reality of what it's going to take to get the speed and convenience and the process that they're looking for. Because that naturally is humans, right? We want our cake and eat it too. They want all cash as is, closed tomorrow, full retail, and no repairs, no commissions, right? If they had, if they had their way, they have everything in the world. Mm -hmm. So in the anchor phase, this is where basically we present some recent market data, right? Where this is what investors are paying in the area. You know, likely an investor offer is going to come in in this range. Uh, we also go over like what repairs would cost to get up to the condition of ARV um, and we cover all the different points that are going to help realign their expectations with reality. So here's the thing. A lot of these people, they've already talked to five, six different people and nobody's able to meet their expectations and their problems not getting solved yeah. because unfortunately their expectations don't align with reality. Like they're looking for someone that's going to overpay and they keep thinking they're going to find it. But the reality is, look, if that ever does happen, it's a rarity because normally people that have money to buy houses cash, they don't get that way by overpaying for stuff and not knowing what they're doing, right? There's always a chance someone will overpay, but you can't count on that. So in the anchor phase where we realign their expectations, we always use as a negotiation tactic, basically deferring to a third party of like, hey, look, I'm not a decision maker. I'm just here to have a glorified information gatherer. I'm going to have to pass this on to the powers that be. They're going to make the final decision. And basically we use low anchors there to reset the expectation and get them to agree to some lower ranges, mm. okay? The third phase is what I call the deliver phase. 
So this is where we actually deliver the offer and close with action. And the way that it works is unless they are just willing to accept uh, a price that I know would work for cash, I let them know, hey, look, you know, we've had a chance to evaluate everything. You know, there is a price that we would be comfortable buying this house cash, but to be frank with you, it's probably not going to end up being a match because it's considerably lower than where you were hoping to be. Mm -hmm. You know, we could move forward with the all cash purchase at X amount, but I know that's probably not going to work for you. They're like, yeah, no, no, that definitely won't work. And they'll say, well, however, you know, I do have some good news uh, because I was telling you earlier, we're a creative real estate investment company. We offer a few different options, like for creative solutions. And the one I was really hoping to get you qualified for is called the concierge service. Okay. And the concierge service, essentially you get all the benefits of the cash offer, meaning you don't have to fix anything. You don't have to pay any closing costs. You don't have to pay any realtors. It's a hands-off white glove experience where we deliver the result on the silver platter. But basically from doing so many deals in uh, New Jersey, mm. you know, we have all the resources, tools, network to get deals done very quickly. Right. And for certain properties that don't fit our criteria, if we can qualify them, we actually will agree to a net price with you. We agree to do all the legwork involved in getting the deal done. And we're going to resell our contract to a third party purchaser. So basically you can get much more than you would with a typical cash offer, but still have a very similar experience. So I have everything written up in black and white. Let me go over all the details. I'm so excited. We we're able to get this approved and then boom, we shift to the contract and then we run through all the details. So we sell the sizzle and the result and then we run them through the details and answer any questions. And uh, out of the people that sign, about 80% of them sign on that call as we're reviewing the contract. So I always review the contract with them on the phone. It, you know, on the sales end of it, it's very important to have control because it's very easy for people to talk themselves out of it, get confused, default to inaction. So I look at it as like, look, if I get off this call without them signing, there's a very good chance their problem's not going to get solved, right? Yeah. They're either going to get frustrated and sell to someone pennies on the dollar, or they're just, you know, they're, they're not going to have a solution or they're going to have to go through a traditional process that they were trying to avoid. So I run them through all the details, they sign on the spot and then boom, now, now we have a new contract and now we start our process. But during the contracts where everything gets divulged, I don't sell them on the details. I sell them on the result and then they logically justify it on the details. So we do full disclosure. Like I literally, if you guys see my videos, you probably have, I read through the whole contract and I, I explain it to you. I break it down because I want to make sure I have their heart in mind because you can get anybody to say, but a lot of them will just sign the contract without reading it. But the problem is, is that when we actually act on the contracts, I haven't won their heart and mind, they're going to be very upset because their expectations are not in alignment mm. with reality. So it is very important. They understand it, they agree with it, and they're bought in and they're on board. Because if they're not bought in and on board, the deal's not going to work anyways. Yeah. So it's very important you set those expectations so everybody knows what they're getting into and we do what we say and say what we do. So that's, that's a big thing with that. Because wholesale, some people fully disclose, but other people, they either leave it in a gray area or they outright lie, lie by omission or they like literally lie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so 
You said a lot there. I learned a lot too. Well, the one thing that kept coming to my mind is every time I sat in front of a seller and they were like, listen, I want this, anything over that you keep. Why do you got to do that accent? It's, I just think of my dad every time. Uh, <laughs> shout out dad. Um, so then- Anytime he, he talks about a difficult seller, it's always his father and he, he's, he's Egyptian <laughs> and he uses this Egyptian accent. It's a so. sick accent. I love it. Uh, but no, it's every time you sat in front of a seller and they're like, I want this price point, anything over it you keep, which is essentially in, in our industry, it's called a net commission, which is illegal for realtors to take. But this is a way to bypass it, right? Where you're able to do a contract, which is, you're basically saying that I have the option, right? To close on the property for X price, no matter what you do to it after the fact. Yeah. Now, I guess some of the questions I have is if I was a seller and let's say I have carrying costs. So I'm paying my mortgage payments. Obviously, if you're doing the work, the majority of the time, sometimes they're not going to be living in the physical uh, property at the time. Well, let's, let's ask them that real quick. What percentage would you say are you, what percentage of the times are you, doing these cosmetic updates while they're living there or what percentage is vacant? So the vast majority of them, we do very little work. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of times the ones we do work is after inspection and it's a, it's a lender requirement. Gotcha. Now, here's, here's when we would do work. If there's just a thing that's an obvious eyesore deal killer, for example, there's no flooring in the living room. Everything else is in great shape, but like there's no flooring. It's like concrete. Right. Yeah. That would be like a no brainer. We're like, okay, we're going to spend $1,500, $2,000, put the flooring in here. It now is actually a complete house. It will show better. It's financeable. But I would say the ones that we spend money, probably about two thirds of them, we spend some sort of money. And a lot of times it's helping the seller move, getting them storage, helping them get to their next place. Is something involved with that or is something like landscape, cleaning up trash, things like that. Um, but actual remodel stuff, like making improvements is actually pretty rare for my model. Yeah. Now there's people like my boy invest with Trev. He has a whole business where they do full remodels nationwide and you can send them your deals and he'll do a split with you. And he, he, I think last time I talked to him, he had 40 different properties going at wow. one time. So it's insane. Like that would make my head explode. Like yeah. I would not <laughs> sleep at night, but that's his thing. You know what I mean? He, he can handle it. He's a better man than me. Yeah. But I like, I like simple and easy yeah. because the people that I work with, they're just looking for peace of mind, certainty, and a pleasant experience. And that I can deliver. Uh, I focus everything on delivering that. And that's why they're happy at the end. Yeah. So the perfect target market is essentially the people whose house isn't marketable at the, at the that current moment or financeable at that current moment. You bring it up to financing standards. So that way it qualifies to 100% of the buyer pool. And then that's the target market, essentially. I wouldn't say, I mean, the perfect house is one that's already fully remodeled that I can get at a big discount, mm. right? And I know that that doesn't sound, you know, that that that's would be goal. like the ideal situation monetarily, right? Yeah. But um, yeah, most of these, they're somewhere on the spectrum of between fully remodeled and fully messed up. But um yeah, most of the properties we do very little work on because that's not really the the issue. And I try not to get into doing a lot of work because what I found is the ones that you do a bunch of work on, yeah. they're generally not any more profitable than the ones that you don't do work on. Yeah. Um, and I just, I'm kind of a hammer looking for nails. So I purposely select properties that don't need a lot of work or I'll just sell them at a discount with the work already kind of taken into account for. Yeah. So what, what happens if you have a seller who says, well, if I have to pay my mortgage cost, you have to eat that as well. If I'm from that 
do you have objections or get objections around that a lot? Yeah, we get creative with it. Um, so as long as the deal still works, yeah, we're fine with it. And there are ones where we'll pay their mortgage or we'll catch up their mortgage so it doesn't go into foreclosure. Or we'll pay, you know, there'll be other things that they need paid off or we'll front money. Maybe cash for keys for a troubled tenant. Yeah. Um, maybe it's, you know, there's lots of different scenarios where, um, you know, we will put up money up front. Yeah. But we try to do that. We try to do that sparingly yeah. because normally that's not their key thing that they need is the money. And it sounds weird, right? Because we're thinking about it logically, but a lot mm. of times these people like their life has some sort of element of chaos or turmoil in it. Mm. And they really just want the house sold without them having to do anything. Like mm. it sounds crazy, but it's, it's the truth. They just want a hands-off experience and they want someone that they can trust and that they believe is going to be able to deliver the result. Yeah. It sounds so easy in my mind. I'm just trying to think of like all the objections I would get because whenever I'm sitting with a seller and I'm going through that whole process with them, all right, we're going to list it on the market. We're going to go X, Y, and Z. Sometimes there's there's hiccups that come up with the lien amount being way more than what they were expecting, right? They might have a second lien on there. If they have rears that need to be paid off uh, or, or you're taking on a lot of liability, how can it actually negatively affect you if you go into a innovation? What are some warning signs that you should be careful of? Mm. So how could like how could doing innovation be a disadvantage compared to like maybe like wholesale? Like what are some things that you should be careful of to not get burned in mm. innovation? So if you're dealing with someone that's in foreclosure or pre-foreclosure, mm. okay, one thing you need to make sure you have enough time. Because the last thing you want to do is be working with someone, you overpromise them money, and they end up losing their house. Yeah. Right? You wanted to make them happy in the beginning by giving them more money. But now you can't sell the property and now they've lost the house. Like I definitely never want to harm any of the people that I work with. Yeah. So I am, I am selective and I will only take on deals if they agree to a price that I know will work. Mm. You know what I mean? So that's one thing. The other thing is too, I mean, it's more so if you're not setting the expectations properly, you will have people get mad mm. and it essentially is a scam at that point. If you tell them, Hey, look, I'm going to buy your house. I'm going to pay cash, close on it. Da, da, da. And then you turn around behind their back without telling them and throw it on the MLS, which people actually do. They'll hire a flat fee broker, throw it on the MLS. And then I've even heard people teach like, well, if they find out it's on the MLS, you just tell them that it's pre-marketing and uh, you explain it away that you're still going to buy it and everything. To me personally, that doesn't sit well. Yeah. Like if someone did that to my mom or my grandma, I would be upset. Yep. Right. That and that's where it turns into a scam is when you're not being truthful with them and you're saying you're doing one thing, and you're really doing something else. But yeah, other than that, or picking the wrong agent to work with, right? That's another thing. Like you guys know, not all agents are built equally. You've yep. got the elite that do all the deals that are amazing, that are like superheroes. You have the majority, which are, you know, average, right? Um, and then you have the ones that are unethical or, you know, their, their, their work ethic isn't there or whatever the case, your deal's the stepchild deal. And that, that can also be a nightmare if you're working with the wrong person where your interests aren't aligned yeah. and they don't have the same intentions that you do. Yeah. So there, there are more moving parts to these deals compared to a wholesale deal, but there's so many opportunities with these that it's worth learning the moving parts and getting good at it. Yeah. Cause you can 
However many wholesale deals you're doing a month, if you're doing 10 wholesale deals a month, there's a good chance you could do an additional 10 to 15 to 20 novations with your existing marketing. Interesting. So yeah, it's a, it's a massive spectrum of people that will fit into this uh, box. Yeah. So how does your how does your process work like underwriting wise? I mean, do you throw these numbers into a model and you say, all right, we would wholesale it at this and we would uh, do a novation at this price? So every deal I lock up under concierge service, whether I plan on selling it off market or selling it on market. And the reason why is this is because then I'm disclosing I'm going to resell to a third party. I like wholesaling deals because I get my money a lot faster. And if it's a great deal, I've got a buddy, I can just pay three grand and he'll do the dispo for me. And it allows me to deal with my other deals that, you know, in any business, it's good sometimes just to get quick money in, knock one off the board, especially if I have ones lingering where there's all these problems with it. I'm like, ooh, this one will probably sell fast off market. Yeah, let's do this one. Let's get it off, get a quick win, get some cash in. And, you know, especially if the seller's on a time crunch, I'll still sell them um, off market. But the way you determine what the max allowable offer is, is much more simple than wholesale. Because we're not factoring in a cash buyer, we're not factoring in repair costs, and we're not factoring in like a profit, right? So I look at as is, the number I want to find is as is retail. So what I look for is in the immediate area, the listed pendings and recent solds that are most like the subject property. So if my subject property uh, has granite countertops and wood floors, but it's still kind of dated, I look for other properties that are the most similar, right? And it's, it's an art form and a science. So there is guesswork involved and you have to do estimation. It's not going to be perfect because the market's fluid too. It's always changing. But I put the most weight into the most similar, the most recent and the closest. And then I try to get in my, and I look how long it took them to sell with the understanding I'm trying to get an offer in 30 days or less. So if this one was on the market for 157 days, even if it's just like my property, my my price has to be lower because I don't have that much time. Right. Like I need the deal closed in 60 days, offer in 30 days or less, right? So I factor in what I think logically I can sell it for. That's the first number I need. Okay. The second number is I do as is retail minus 10%. So 90% of as is retail because 10% I figure is going to go 6% for the agents, a percent or two for closing costs. Um, if it's a state where there's a high transfer tax, I have to factor that in. And then there's always some miscellaneous, either concessions, helping the seller, you know, add a buffer in there. Cause you're going to have to spend some money on a lot of these deals that isn't planned. It's just going to be a random thing. So I factor 10% off and then minus a minimum of $30,000. Hmm. Okay. So I never go into these deals anticipating making less than 30,000. Now, are there deals where I do make less than 30,000? Yes, there are. <laughs> and that's when things go wrong that you don't anticipate. Maybe it doesn't sell for as much as you thought. Yeah. But if it's 30,000, there's enough padding in there that $30,000 worth of things can go wrong and the deal still goes through. Right now, there are deals that we make 90, 100, 110, $150,000 on. So there's not a limit, but you don't want to go in hoping if everything goes right, I'm going to make 10 grand because if just one or two things go wrong, you can't even do the deal. And I, I do, I hate retrading with sellers. I hate it, hate it, hate it. And I will only do it as a very last resort to get the deal done. 
And I, if I do it, I'll explain to them, hey, look, you do not have to agree to this. If this does not work for you, I completely understand. I'm just presenting you the situation that we're in because of X, Y, and Z. These offers are all coming in well below where uh, you know we agreed with you. There were some things that we weren't able to account for. You know, We could accept this offer that just came in if you're willing to agree at this price. But if, if that doesn't work for you, I completely understand that you're well within your rights to say no. And then they can make the decision if it works for them or not. But I even hear people bragging about 90% of our deals, we get a price drop. Like I would never price drop someone to make 40 grand instead of 30 or to widen my spread. I think that's despicable. And the people that do that, like that's another reason why people get a bad name. And then yeah. now you're getting back into scammer territory where you're lying to people, you're not doing them ethically. You're doing something that you would not want done to you or someone you love. Like the golden rule, right? Yeah. It's the golden rule for a reason. Cause if you live by it, like good things will happen. And when you break it, the universe has a way of seeking justice on you. And I never see any of the people that brag about scamming people or brag about re, uh, retrading and everything. One, they don't really ever look that happy. And two, a lot of times they don't last that long. You yeah. know what I mean? You can get away with certain things for a while, but uh, it's hard to have longevity when your business is built off of getting, getting over on vulnerable people. Yeah. Uh, I just think that there's something gross about that. And I, I don't agree with it. And I speak out against it because there's a lot of people that speak for it. And it seems great. Like, oh, look at all the money they're making. This is what you have to do to get ahead. Man, I'm sitting here like a sucker working a nine to five doing the right thing. And this guy's over here screwing people over and getting rich. I'm just telling you, the people I know that are truly wealthy, like, and that are happy, that have money and are happy, they do good and they they provide value. They don't screw people over. The people that screw people over, it looks like they're doing good for a while, but something bad always happens to them. Even yeah. if it's unrelated to the bad things they were doing, yeah. it's just they always crash and burn. So I learned that from seeing it a lot. And I realized that's not who I am. That's not who I I, I will ever be. You yeah. know, so Those people should just get better at negotiating the, the, <laughs> the price from the beginning. Then you, don't exactly. have to, then you don't have to go back. Yeah. Exactly. That's why I say the money's made on the buy. You know, don't get me wrong. I will negotiate very hard in the beginning and I'm swinging for the fences on every one. I'm running a business. But the thing is this, once I get them under contract, even, uh, I, you know, I'm going to be making money, but they will get a five-star experience from me. Mm. So I'm at restaurant. It's a thousand dollars a plate to eat here, but your steak's going to be perfect. Your dessert's going to be beautiful. The table's going to be set. There's no stains on the tablecloth on my table. You know what I mean? Everything is going to be on point where, yes, you are getting a premium experience at a premium price. And it is what it is. And if they don't, if that's not for them, that's not what they're looking for. There's so many other options out there. Yeah. So I'm just another option. And that's the option I chose to be. So awesome. Well, awesome. If someone wants to connect with you, Rich, what's the best way to do so? Man, Instagram at Novation King. That's my main platform. Uh, if you have a deal that you think may be a Novation deal that fits in that box I was telling you, go to NovationJV.com. We do 15 to 20 uh, uh, JV deals a month. Wow. We're looking to double or triple that. And we need y'all's help. Uh, if you want to get in the Rainmaker course and community, we've got over 300 members. You can go to NovationKing.com, see all the success stories. There's people from all walks of life, people just getting out of high school, people in their 50s and 60s, people doing 20, 30, 40 deals a month, people getting their first deals. 
So the community is awesome. We do live trainings in there. We Everybody has a go-giver abundant mindset too. And yeah, they can get a hold of me. That way is the easiest way is Instagram. And through there, you can find all my other things I got going on. Awesome. awesome. Well, if awesome. you guys are listening to this on our YouTube channel, in the description below, we'll add that in there for you to easily uh, connect with Rich. We appreciate you, man, for jumping on the platform. Uh, this is, I got a lot of ideas percolating from this, so I'm grateful for it. So thank you. Always good to have another strategy. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah, we'll have to connect off air here and uh, see what we can cook up. Yeah, man.